Welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hi, Anna. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Well, I'm recovering from a bit of a cold, but I'm sure I'm going to make it through this conversation. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm so happy we were able to get together again this morning. Dr. Jane, in our last conversation, we were taking what you called an honest look at our lives to decide what choices are necessary for the best parts of us to bloom. We also talked about the biases that show up from our conditioning, starting in our infancy, which interferes with living a fulfilled life. Oh, gosh, Anna, yes. You know, we certainly covered quite a bit of territory, didn't we? You know, the the takeaway that I'd, I'd hope for is that we can recognize that we're more than we think we are and that our relationships and interactions in our earliest environments, to a large extent, you know, molded our concepts, you know, of ourselves and also of the world, you know, and, and we still tend to operate from these learned tenants, you know, they're, they're etched in our neural pathways, you know, but they're not etched in stone. We can modify them or replace them. You know, neural pathways can be reprogrammed. So part of our quest to be our best and highest selves, you know, is to be able to take really an honest inventory of ourselves, you know, uh, along with our, our beliefs, our values, our strengths, even our flaws. You know, and this can really only be done, Anna, you know, by using the present moment awareness. And then we want to follow up with a plan to, to modify or replicate or remediate whatever we find, you know, and, and we find that our willingness to do this really is going to serve a, a greater good. You know, it's not merely for selfish reasons that we're, we're going through this. You know, although we do stand a, a, a great uh, benefit from it, you know, in the long run. So we can only be who we're called to be the best version of ourselves if we step out of who we've always taken ourselves to be. Correct. So yeah. that, you know, that was the question of the week. You know, who do I take myself to be? And that's our starting point. Yes, yes, you know, and so much of of that, you know, what we take ourselves to be, you know, um, really is meant to be an open-ended question. You know, often people start by inventorying their roles, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, I'm a husband, or wife, or father, you know, or their occupations. You know, I'm an accountant, I'm a teacher, maybe I'm a banker. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But our quest really requires that we go deeper. Deeper? Well, yes. You know, we, we want to layer off those traditional kind of conditioned concepts. So we might ask ourselves to consider, you know, who we are if that role is removed. You know, who am I if not a mom or a consultant or a friend? You know, we want to go beyond the identity of the ego. We want to move into the territory of being a person of dreams and desires and hopes. Or maybe we find that we're a person who who gave up those dreams and hopes. You know, again, Anna, you know, this requires that mindful awareness that we've been practicing as we explore who we take ourselves to be and, and what might keep us 
from being who we're called to be. Yes. Well, for some of us, though, Dr. Jane, our dreams were dashed when we were kids by adults, teachers, life circumstances. Oh, gosh, you know, you're right. You know, when I'm working with people individually or even in groups, you know, I'll often ask them to recall um, when they were like, uh, go back to when you're like 10 to 12 years old, you know, and I ask, you know, what they wanted to be when they grew up, you know, and, and, and how that how that configured at that time of their lives, you know, before the, the trials of being a teenager, you know, and, and the forming of the, the solid, more solid forming of the identity, you know, and some recall various dreams, you know, and others, not so much, you know, these are questions that tap into our core beliefs and our ideals. These can be, as you, as you said on it, dashed by various life circumstances, but sometimes it works in reverse. How so? Well, you know, I remember doing an inquiry with a fellow who, because of life circumstances, worked from the time he was seven years old to support his family. You know, he, he really was nose to the grindstone from the time he was little. And he insisted when we talked that he was really too busy and too tired to hope or dream. And yet at the time we were speaking, he was a successful entrepreneur. You know, so I asked him about, you know, what were the lessons that you learned during those grueling years working as a youngster? You know, and he said that he learned that he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. And, and he wasn't afraid to get the job done. And that there was no job that he wasn't willing to take on. You know, and as we, as we spoke, he finally admitted that just in reminiscing this, he felt powerful, as he did at the time. You know, he'd never met anyone who could rival his work ethic. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, you know, Dr. Jane, even the dire circumstances may have a silver lining. It's really a matter of just recognizing it. Well, I think you're right, you know, and, and making our way beyond the obvious. You know, getting to know ourselves intimately, which means that we have to show up with ourselves, with awareness, without any criticism, without judgment. Yes, without judgment and criticism. We talked about the inner critic at length in episode 14. You said that this inner judge that's sometimes called the superego can control us and sometimes keeps us from doing or saying things that could benefit us in the long run. I want to encourage our listeners to check out the inner critic episode. That was a, a really, I think, important episode. I think you're right on it. That's a good point, you know, because we're peeling off layers of our conditioning and the backstory, you know, as we explore what's running the show of our lives. So sometimes these dimensions are very obvious. And at other times, they need to be teased out with patience and awareness. Yes, I, you know, you mentioned in the inner critic episode and in our last conversation that much of what's contributing and controlling us resides in our unconsciousness. Well, I should say unconscious. Um, I, I find this fascinating and kind of creepy in a way, but something that I'm not conscious of is driving the bus of my 
my life. You know, I, you mentioned at the very end of our last conversation that we needed to uncover additional unconscious dimensions. Well, yes, Anna. You know, we want to recognize and uncover hidden aspects of what we sometimes call the psyche, you know, that, that might be sabotaging our quest to be that best version of ourselves. So let's peel back another layer today and look at core beliefs. You know, and when we think about beliefs just in general, you know, they're an interesting phenomena. You know, they're generally speaking, the ideas or concepts um, that we have kind of a way to interpret many aspects of our life, you know, our experiences, our feelings, they help us make things, make sense of things that happen in this crazy world. You know, they're not always unhealthy or bad. Regardless, they don't necessarily promote our growth. Unless, of course, you have a belief about wanting to grow. Um, and the reason for that is they don't, they, they protect us. You know, they kind of keep us within a certain confine of that belief. So we hold on to them because, you know, it, it begins to reason that if my belief is such that if I do this, I'll be okay, then I'm probably going to do it. So even so-called positive beliefs, because they're, they're meant to protect us, may interfere with us being open and flourishing. So they can limit the way we experience life, mostly because they're related to our core fears. That's what, why we have them. They, they're protectors. You know, it, it, core fear could be, um, gosh, a fear of being uncomfortable or embarrassed or disapproved of or fear of failure or, or even death. Oh, yes. I'm very familiar with, uh, with fear. You know, we've all been there. I'm sure we can't just unload them or wipe them out. No, no, we can't. But with, with our awareness, we can hold them lightly and see them for what they are and make a conscious choice whether we want to follow them or not, moment by moment. Otherwise, we wind up letting the beliefs write the scripts of our lives, you know, starting with ourselves. But you know what, Anna? It doesn't stop there. You know, once we have the, the beliefs and the script written, you know, we try to get others to conform to our beliefs as well, thinking that it'll keep everybody safe. Yes, that could easily be interpreted by others as controlling behavior, <laughs> which, yeah. Oh, which yeah. is, yeah, which is the making of conflict and relationships and on the job and even beyond that. Well, that's right. That's right. So the effects of these core beliefs really are far reaching. They color everything. You know, we see what we believe. You know, it's the way the thinking brain works. You know, in these core beliefs trigger additional self-limiting beliefs. So, so really the core belief, you know, of something like uh, the world is ugly or a dangerous place will trigger numerous self-limiting beliefs about how I need to protect myself, from people, places, ideas. You know, and this contributes to the formulation and maintenance of that ego identity, which is attached to those beliefs. So this usually moves us to acting according to our beliefs, which then, of course, enforces the beliefs. So we're making these beliefs a lifestyle. You know, they begin to have their own life and they dictate what we say and also what we do. So these beliefs, what you're saying, they're, they're running the show. Well, pretty much, you know, and because they're so often fear-based, they narrow our problem solving. They narrow our interpretation of life experiences. And they impede creative problem solving. 
Hmm. This is also interesting to me because, uh, you know, we talked about that when we talked about the research study using a paper and pencil puzzle with the mice, mice in the maze. Uh, one mouse was after that delicious cheese and the other mouse was out running a predator owl. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was the University of Maryland. And and do you remember what happened? Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, the group whose mouse was after the cheese performed way better than the other group on a follow-up test. The That old fear-based negativity really trips us up. Well, you nailed it, Anna. You know, so any fear-based process puts us at a clear disadvantage because we're relegated to that negative aversion mode, which interferes with creative problem solving. So we may find ourselves at a clear disadvantage to know what's best, what needs to be done, and and also how to do it. Yeah, this was such an important um important topic for me. And so the bottom line is life is more than our beliefs. And so are we, you know, as, as we embark on this quest to be our best and highest selves, we want to become keenly aware of the barriers that limit us or make us small. Well, exactly. You know, and this presents an additional reason for us to continue to practice and utilize the, the mindful awareness, the present moment awareness in our daily lives. You know, we want to explore the dark corners of our psyche. We want to be able to identify our patterns and follow the chain of content to central beliefs that may be controlling us from behind the scenes. Yes, in our awareness in the moment, we can choose how we want to respond rather than basing our response on a perceived idea you know, preconceived idea, I should say, and, and then the belief of, of what should happen. Well, yes. And this awareness provides really another opportunity to own our feelings, you know, own our reactivity. You know, we're turning toward the beliefs, seeing them more clearly, acknowledge them, acknowledging them, you know, really um, for what they are. No need to do the usual kind of I'm going to, going to avoid or blame or project them, you know, to deal with them. So I also find what I also find interesting is that Sometimes when we release one core belief, others become more obvious and, and more easy to believe, to release. You know, it, it's kind of like um, they form kind of like a house of cards. So you take one out and they fold. It's like it all kind of comes down. Yes, Dr. Jane, are we ever done? <laughs> well, nice try on it. Nice try. You know, but, but this, this quest, you know, is to live more consistently. Mm-hmm. from our best and highest self. And it really is a lifelong process that we embrace. You've said before that we don't want to think in terms of a destination. If I want a destination, I can go to Chicago, right? <laughs> well, that's right, Ada. You know, and along the way, as we discover the truth of these core beliefs, you know, and we let go, we can sometimes feel um, it's almost like our anchor has been pulled up. You know, we face the fact that a particular frame that we've had on the world isn't true. And, and so it, it can kind of wrangle us a little bit. So if not that, then what? You know, and sometimes in these cases, our, our ego reacts with fear. You know, the, the identity of the ego is being dismantled. And that, that certainly can trigger fear. 
And our knee-jerk reaction sometimes is to fill the void with another belief. It's like, I'm going to slam another one in there. If not that, then I'm going to do this. Yeah, and that's certainly not a good idea. No. No, the key is that we really don't need to try to make anything happen. You know, we're, we're, right, where we suppo- we're right where we're supposed to be. And, and if you remember, you know, with our mindful awareness, we stay with what's arising. We're not fixing or making something happen. You know, we step back from our thoughts, our feelings, our body sensations, our impulses, and we remain aware of them, although we're outside the fray. You know, we're not in the drama. You know, and this is where we often access another way of knowing. You know, that wise part of ourselves has a chance to emerge and offer sometimes a truth or support or a direction or a new mindset that we haven't been aware of before. You know, and this this whole this whole process, this whole new process really lies beyond our usual words and thoughts and beliefs. You know, are our attempts to fix something? This is so very promising. It's it's worth the time and energy to explore. Let's talk about common core self-limiting beliefs. Sure, Anna. You know, when, when we're talking about self-limiting beliefs and, and core beliefs, I, I usually like to start with a category of enough. And it's usually about, I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. You know, I don't have enough time, money, um, energy, ideas. So those tend to be very, very core. And they play out in different ways. But then there's also that that whole self-limiting, you know, I can't, whether it's I can't be successful or I can't have this or I can't have that, or, or possibly that something is wrong with me, you know, and that's why good things don't happen for me, um, are the shoulds, those ironclad rules that are set up by others that we adhere to. So it's always about, it always sets us up feeling less than, you know, or Speaking of feeling less than, you know, there are also core beliefs about feeling worthless or undeserving, or there are also core beliefs about, um, I'm destined to fail. Even if I try, I'm destined to fail. Or, or that somehow I'm defective, you know, I'm bad, I'm flawed, I'm broken. Or the other one that's very common is, I'm unlovable. So I can't have that thing that would nurture me and make me feel worthwhile. Oh my goodness. I know. Boy, oh boy. These, these come close to home for uh, probably many of us that are listening to, you know, to this conversation today. And they're not always as obvious as these statements. Well, you're right. You're right. You know, remember these beliefs have been developing since childhood. And so they're not fully conscious, you know, and, and we don't articulate them the way I just did. Yet everything about us may be organized around them. So they prevent us from being wakeful, free, wise, powerful, joyful, you know, um, really fully human. And, and most of us may have, have attempted to overcome the limitations that these beliefs present at one time or another, but we may have tried it by trying to change behaviors without realizing the beliefs behind it. So it didn't result in, in any kind of success, and we probably responded with, well, I told you so, you know, it's that kind of attitude that, well, I told you so attitude 
you know, that, that very often sets us up to avoid other failures. So these attempts, you know, that and, and feeling like we failed reinforce the self-limiting belief. That's the craziness. Yes. And so what does it take to discover these beliefs and disempowering them? Well, Anna, we need to we need to identify these rascals. And and quite frankly, you know, as we've said, they're sneaky, they're unconscious. So we might begin by by, you know, always setting the setting the um uh, frame of of our our work, you know, in in a mindfulness practice, you know. So, what we want to do is is set ourselves up to to be in our mindfulness, so that we can then pose certain questions, you know, certain certain points of inquiry, you know, things like things like um, uh, and and we want to do this by by posing the questions and, and maybe journaling, but but things like tracking um, situations that have made us uncomfortable, just kind of turning toward our lives and taking a look at on a daily basis, what kind of discomfort has shown up? What kind of emotional charge has shown up during the day? You know, and behind that is usually some belief. You know, it's there lurking behind that emotional charge, you know, and and a reaction very often follows to want to push away or shut down or pull in, you know, but we really want to just hold it in our awareness. You know, who and what do we compare ourselves to is another point of inquiry. You know, just kind of asking ourselves these questions, you know, or what are the themes that maybe complete the sentence, I should, or I can't, you know, and, and we want to identify themes. You know, social situations that make us uncomfortable. Remember, you know, fear, remember that the, the fear isn't the core belief, but it arises in response to the core belief. So we're going to ask ourselves, you know, what kind of things trigger our fear? What are the experiences that I respond to with never? I'm never going to do it. You know, or what halts my curiosity? Well, I have to tell you, you know, we're, we're going to, as best we can, begin to explore our self-limiting beliefs. Yes. Yes. You know, we're not rushing in to remediate anything. You know, when this is done prematurely, it usually ends badly with disappointment. You know, we're exploring. And we're exploring with kind, gentle curiosity. And when we discover something... We want to be an interested observer, you know, without judgment or criticism. So something comes up and let ourselves be be open to it. You know, oh, how about that? How interesting, you know, kind of teasing it out little by little. Dr. Jane, and uh, practices for this week? Well, you know, Anna, let, let's continue to follow the practice of creating a sequence, a sequence of our choice. You know, starting with a welcoming breath, maybe then including a body scan or uh, watching th- our thoughts or, or a meta meditation, the loving kindness meditation, you know, and, and as we close our practice, let's be, let's be open to dropping in some of those questions of inquiry, you know, and, and maybe journaling one of the paths of the inquiry, you know, that, that we've just talked about. This is, this is what I want to have as our main 
focus. But we also want to remember the mindfulness bells, you know, throughout the day, looking for activities that that can be done mindfully. And let's not forget the three-minute breathing space, you know, at least twice a day. And quite frankly, the three-minute breathing space is an excellent practice to be followed by an inquiry, you know, to ask, you know, what what self-limiting belief is showing up today? Dr. Jane, this is all such helpful information. Thank you. Until our next conversation. Thank you, Anna.